Welcome, everybody, to today's B-Side. Back on the program once again is Renee Rojas, just as a refresher. He's a visiting assistant professor at Hobart William Smith in uh, the Department of Political Science. In the A-Side, we talked about his excellent essay called The Latin American Left's Shifting Tides. That was out from Catalyst Journal this past summer. Renee, thanks for coming back to the B-Side. It's a pleasure. So I spoke with Tim Gill at length last month about the situation in Venezuela. Tim is a colleague of yours. Your analysis is not far from his. You guys are all in the same subfield, all in the same family of scholars and colleagues. And so this is by no means a kind of point counterpoint with the discussion on Venezuela that I had with Tim. But what we're going to do differently here is we're going to try to contextualize it in the kind of broader political, economic, historical trajectories of that region. Your essay in Catalyst oftentimes uses the Bolivarian Revolution, in that case in Venezuela, as a kind of exceptional variant of what were, you know, regionally consistent themes. And although, you know, for various reasons, Venezuela was oftentimes able to go the furthest, you know, at each turn, they were by no means exceptional or alone in the, the broader flow of things. And, and your, your essay, I think, is really important in talking about how the pink tide is sort of dissolving for a variety of structural features across the region. Venezuela has been able to hold on, but they've had to make a number of sacrifices. And I sort of mentioned in the A side, you know, nobody wants to find themselves at the head of the, of the trolley dilemma. <laughs> but in, in a sense, Maduro has placed himself squarely there. And I think that's the sort of tragic structural orientation that you you bring to bear on this question. How do you sort of contextualize this with your broader research? It's my understanding that you're working on a project right now uh, comparing the kind of rightward shift of Brazil with the sort of left progressive, possibly socialist government of AMLO in Mexico. And Venezuela finds itself uh, squarely in the middle of that, um, of that dichotomy. Uh, talk to me about how you contextualize Venezuela in this broader project. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two things to say. First of all, I think the best way to understand what's happening in the region right now is to say, rather than that, you know, there is this new neo-authoritarian right-wing wave, right, that's taking over again and kicking, you know, one left reformist government out of power, you know, after another, Rather than to see, you know, what's happening as, as you know, this right wing or far right wing onslaught, right, is to say instead that what's happening is that Latin America as a region is experiencing kind of its second major moment of neoliberal crisis and, and decomposition and political decomposition, right? The first one being um, what happened 20 years ago, which led to the rise of the pink tide governments. And the current one being one that results from the fact that even with all the reforms, these left governments actually never departed from basic neoliberal political economies. And so what you're seeing now is an intensification of this kind of second wave of neoliberal crisis, right? And, and you know, things are happening in, in somewhat 
unpredictable ways. I think they're, 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 things can ha can move in different directions. So I think what's happening in Venezuela should be placed in that context, um, first of all. Secondly, when we focus in on, on Venezuela, I think, um, as you pointed out, you know, uh, we need to understand the the horrible crisis the country's undergoing. We have to understand it within kind of the grouping of pink tide countries that rose and um, either are falling now or have already fallen. Right. So Venezuela within that that group of countries, um, as you said, actually, I think, did the most uh, pushed the envelope the furthest, both in terms of social welfare but also in terms of democratization, in terms of um, promoting, you know, real participation from regular working poor people. So on the one hand, it did that. But on the other hand, it was still confined, right, to a basic neoliberal growth strategy, which depended on oil exports. And, and that's what's really hampered their ability. That's what's really produced this crisis and hampered their ability to get out of it, I think. So we're really at an impasse right now, at least, you know, politically speaking in, in this moment. Uh, I want to keep this episode as evergreen as possible and not get lost in the kind of day-to-day, uh, week-to-week -to -week goings on. But as as I sit here today in the present, it was announced uh, earlier last week that much of the sort of diplomatic offices in the United States are being slowly uh, taken over by uh, Juan Guaido's forces. His people yeah. are being installed in these diplomatic offices in, I, I believe, the embassy in New York City. Uh, I believe some of the diplomatic properties in Washington, D.C. And so despite the fact that what some have called a coup has largely run aground in this sort of shambolic kind of attempt to stoke a border confrontation or perhaps an, even an all-out war, uh, on the part of Senator Marco Rubio and and John Bolton and Elliot Abrams, of course, pulling strings uh, not in the not too you know distant background there, of course, undoubtedly they failed to cohere a kind of uh, groundswell that that would eject the Maduro government, and they're still working behind the scenes. That's where we sit today. Yeah, but I think we can we can talk about the broader trajectories and the lead up in kind of more broad strokes, evergreen ways. How how did the Maduro government arrive in their in their current situation? Maybe walk us through the decline of of the Bolivarian movement with with the death of Chavez. What was happening up to that point that perhaps you know signaled what we're seeing today? Uh, yeah, wow, there's a lot happening. Big questions. Um, yeah, but I think there there are two key moments that are fundamental in understanding what's going on. The first is, you know, I don't think too many people are, are, are pointing to this, but I think it's, it's, it's essential. The first is the creation of the unified socialist party, you know, after Chavez's 2006 election, so 2006, 2007, which brings together, right, what had been a fairly disparate, disparate very vibrant, right, um, grassroots, or had included very vibrant grassroots constituencies, and they brought them all into this new ruling party, right? And that, that's essential because it ends up concentrating official power and getting 
all of the the Chavista and the Bolivarian backers, right, into one organization, hierarchical organization, now led by state office holders. That, that, that's the first thing. I think it's very important. And the second thing it was the collapse of, of the um, global oil market and oil prices, which began really 2014, right after so there's, I mean, it's the you look at the you look at the graphs and it's pretty precipitous. It goes from like you know over the course of that year from 120 dollars a barrel to like 50 or something. Uh, it's it's quite dramatic, but it happens the year after Maduro wins his election. So you know if you combine those two features, you know what do we have going on? Well, you have you know decreasing revenues to redistribute to your your supporters. Right through these called misiones, these social programs, right, and through other other types of social supports, right. So you have a drying up of of the well for that, and preceded by, right, a few years earlier, this kind of top down hierarchical concentration of power through the creation of the PSUV, the the Unified Socialist Party. Right. And that, that was a really bad combination, a really bad combination. That's because, interesting. That's interesting because neither one of them really had anything to do with one another. But but come they, they come together. It's kind of like uh, fire and gasoline, I guess, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because because on the one hand, the fall of the oil prices, because, you know, because of the extreme dependence and because of the, the fact that the whole Bolivarian process had staked its very existence on oil revenues. Right. They never reinvested, you know, those rents. And we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars, right? To diversify, to create more sustainable industries, right? So you could actually feed your own population and you could actually give worker control, you know, um, or you can give some some degree of worker control and management in new new manufacturing sectors. You never did in, any of that. Instead, you continue to rely on oil rents and to essentially buy the support of, of, of your backers um, and, and this mean um, through this those means. And so when when that fails, two things are going to happen. Obviously, well, one of the opposition is going to take this opportunity to start mobilizing. And in fact, they did. They were really intense and quite murderous street protests, the, the famous Guarimbas in 2014. Oh, yeah. Setting activists and trade unionists on fire, for fuck's sake. Yeah, really yeah I know of a case that I remember. It, it really struck me. Uh, a pro-Chavez student, I think she was in her maybe 20s, from Chile, in fact, originally. Because, you know, at, during the dictatorship in Chile, both the Christian Democratic Party and the Social Democratic Party of Venezuela, which were the two ruling parties, actually opened opened their doors to Chilean exiles from those two respective parties. But anyway, she's the daughter of, of one of these political refugees. And she's out there in a counter protest and she gets her head blown off, you know, uh, blown, blown apart because these guys were up to no good, the opposition, right? They said, this is the moment to bring down the whole Bolivarian project, right? Um, so that was, that intensified at that moment. The problem was that the actual... You know, the, the Chavistas didn't have a healthy, participatory, democratic way of responding, right? Because of that concentration, that, that vertical concentration of power through the Besuv. And that, I think, led to, in many ways, the authoritarian responses by the Maduro government, right? On the one hand. And on the other hand, his 
efforts at maintaining control, not through not only through authoritarian measures, but by winning the backing of these new political elite sectors, a lot of them in the military, right, through corruption, through right. corruption. This concludes your free teaser of this week's B-Side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.